the bear turns to you, it becomes aggressive in any way. What you want to do? What you want to do? Wait, wait, that was like really <laughs> loud. Okay, Sorry. ready? Go. No, no, it's not. It's not. You cannot control the environment. So go back. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to episode number thirty-four. That was a little plooper that I had because it's so. I find it so funny because this episode is all about nature therapy, hiking, and then. He, as I was having my interview with Faison, who's our guest for today, he we actually had a lawn cutter <laughs> sound effect in the background, which was like so ironic. And so I would like to introduce to you today, our guest is Faison, who's an outdoors enthusiast, who has been creating opportunities for people to explore nature and learn outdoor skills. He's an outing leader with the Sierra Club in National Environmental advocacy and outdoors organization and recently founded the outdoor muslims a local organization in the dc area with the goal of creating a community of muslims and allies who enjoys exploring the outdoors together and i'm so excited because we collaborated on a two hikes actually this year already which we'll talk about in this episode so in this episode we're going to talk about how to if you are interested to become a naturalist, how to how to get into it, uh, how outdoor Muslims came together, what was the drive and the passion behind it. And then we also talked about nature therapy overview. We talked about if you were interested in going on a hike, what you should pack with you and prepare camping as well, how to fight off yourself and protect yourself from any bear attacks. And even if you were to work out outside like I did, and then you see a, a goose or geese, how to approach them. And of course, so much more. So let's get started. Welcome to the Purposeful Fitness with Coach Ola, where I dive in deeper into holistic health and fitness topics that would help you stay inspired, motivated, and dedicated to living a purposeful fit life while pursuing for the Akhira. Hey, welcome Faizan to the show. How are you today? I'm doing well, Ola. Thanks for asking. How are you? Alhamdulillah, good. So today we're going to talk about nature therapy and how you got into it. So tell us about yourself and what you currently do. Sure. So I have a nine to five where I'm a management consultant, kind of working with different organizations on, you know, helping them manage change and the human side of what organizational change or technology change can look like. So really it's helping people manage these tough, anxious situations that they get into and trying to help them build the skills, build the confidence and the right, I guess, attitude toward change in the workplace. And then outside of work, I really enjoy the outdoors. So I do a lot of work with the Sierra Club as an outings leader. So that includes leading hikes or camping trips, backpacking trips. And then recently, I also started working with Outdoor Muslims, which is a group we founded uh, locally in the D.C. area. And what we're trying to do is create a community of Muslims and allies who really just enjoy exploring nature together and the outdoors. And so we've been doing a lot of hiking trips. We have some biking trips and camping trips planned. And so, inshallah, we're just trying to put my uh, energy and attention toward those things. 
that's awesome. And that's how we actually met through Alger Muslims. And it's actually really interesting how we all of us put together with the Green Muslims our hikes, which we can talk about in the next question. But before, I would like to know what made you decide to get into this field of and become a naturalist? Yeah, so as a child, I guess I always had an interest in nature. I grew up luckily in an area where it was still a little bit more rural than I, where I live now in the DC area. And I had a large backyard. And so every day after school, I would go outside and explore my backyard. And there was so much to see and explore there. Everything from, you know, the trees to the and the plants to the creek that ran behind my house. So, you know, looking for different animals and creatures and the birds that would come. And so I really had a great kind of playground to explore nature. And even at a young age, I kind of felt the impact, the positive impact that just being outside and being in amongst the trees, you know, the smell that you would like the smell of the trees and the pine trees, especially that we had growing up, you know, in the summertime, all of that just it 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 had an impact. It, it could feel the difference that it would have on your well-being, even as a child, just getting out there and 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 being able to experience these things, you know, in, in every way from the, the sight, you know, the smell, the touch, just being able to explore with all all your five senses. That's so awesome. And we need to keep children active more outside. As especially where technology is getting harder and it's really important to embed the nature at a young age because you can see how it can help growing up. So then how did the elder Muslims come together and what was your drive and passion behind it? Absolutely. So outdoor Muslims really came together as a way for, you know, to, with the main purpose of building a community. So, you know, in the age that we live in right now, you know, we're for Muslims, there may or may not be some anxiety about, you know, exploring places where, you know, you might feel uncomfortable or you may feel like you don't belong. You know, it's it's one part of it. But really, I think it's, it's uh, short-sighted to think that Muslims are not out there in nature and exploring the outdoors because they certainly are. And as I started kind of working with the Sierra Club and other outdoor organizations, you know, the, the participation for Muslims, <clears throat> it's still pretty small. Um, but it's just a matter of, you know, building the bridges, building the, the connections between people. And I think for Muslims, there's kind of a different way we might go about it. You know, we we would like to see opportunities where we can explore the outdoors, where some of our needs are met. For example, you know, being in a on a outing where, you know, you can actually stop and pray Lohar or, you know, you have a place to, you know, kind of meet your needs that you might have as a Muslim and, and really just trying to create that opportunity, that space where people also feel comfortable to learn and explore and doing that with people that have similar, you know, similar interests and similar kind of sensibilities about nature and, and you know, what we can get from, from the outdoors. So really, it's just about building the community of people and being able to connect myself is kind of how it started with other people that have this interest. And then, you know, how can we help each other and how can we grow as Muslims and as kind of outdoor enthusiasts or hikers or backpackers, whatever it may be. Yes, and that brings me to say how we bo- how we met and how we collaborated. So for the listeners, I met outdoor Muslims through like a sponsored ad or it was like a post on Facebook I saw. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm an out like I love working outside and all that stuff. So I already had planned like a hike with another green Muslim before. So then I I found him on Instagram and then we started like talking. There's a hike that I'm hosting. And from there, we collaborated on a hike. 
and it was Ramadan, right? So we brought like spring into Ramadan hike, which was really nice. And like what Faisan said, to bring our faith into the hikes and connect the dots together. Because nature therapy is really helpful, especially whether it's a spiritual, mental, or even physical. And I love that your initiative is really helpful and it's much needed, as you said. So then what is nature therapy all about? So I think you you kind of just wrap, uh, said it right there, right? So nature <laughs> yes. therapy really is, you know, being able to find, you know, therapy, you know, physically, mentally, and spiritually. And being in nature and exploring nature with all five senses can really help, you know, it can be, really be a therapeutic thing to a lot of some of the normal ailments that we feel, you know, whether it be anxiety, depression, just general, like, you know, happiness. And those are all things that are impacted by nature. And we experience nature through all these five senses, right? So partly, you know, physical, the physical therapy aspect of it, I think we kind of understand being out in nature, being able to, you know, improve our physical strength and our health through just outdoor activities, whether it be hiking or biking, or, you know, maybe it's yoga in the outdoors or something like that. We're, we're starting to build our physical strength and improve our, our physical health. I think mentally, it's also a way for us to just kind of relax and, you know, change our status quo, what we're thinking about, what's bothering us, you know, where our focus is. And being in nature allows you to kind of like let that dissipate from your mind. It gives you a chance to give your mind a break. And focus on things that might bring you some happiness, might bring some relief from kind of the normal, like built up pressures that you might have in your in your mind about, you know, all the things that we have going on in our lives. So there's that mental therapy aspect of it and then the spiritual aspect of it. And really, as Muslims, you know, we're asked in the Quran over and over again to reflect. Right. And there's so many things in the Quran where Allah mentions aspects or things from nature as a point of reflection for us and if you have never experienced those things by being outside in nature i think it's kind of really hard to understand some of what the significance of what allah is talking about in the quran when you know he's swearing by the sun and the moon and the the fixed path that he assigned for them or how this the trees and the and the stars kind of prostrate toward him you know and revere him these are all things you know even the story of the spider you know, how can we really appreciate this when we haven't seen a spider spin his web? You know, there's so many signs in in the Quran that relate to nature that I think really you have to be in nature to understand them fully. That's so true. And, you know, I'm like kind of like laughing, smiling, because it, for me, the same thing when I see an ant, like yesterday, I think I saw an ant. I was like, man, it's so patient. I need to be patient like the ant. And it's mentioned in the Quran as well. And like you said, I struggle with depression um in the past and even like going outside was not easy so then slowly went back to and that's why i enjoy working working outside like workouts instead of the gym because it mm -hmm. really helps to get the mind off and when i've had like recently work on a project you know too much stress can build up and that can also lead to anxiety so and then just got outside got a fresh air and like reflect let go and then came back to work so it's important to step outside even if it's like cloudy or maybe rainy it still helps to be with the outdoors absolutely and i think you know i get going back to the therapeutic aspect of it you know just in our lives now today where we find i think a difficult 
safety with trying to just, you know, find the differences between work and rest. And, you know, we're, we kind of just, it, there's no clear definition between the two, but I think it's in Surah Nahal where Allah talks about how he fixed the sun and the moon, you know, at a fixed times. And that gives us day for work and night for rest. And, you know, all the weather patterns that he's established for us and bringing the rains, right, to, you know, for us to ha have our, our crops. Those are all things that Allah has put in place for us to bring some sort of structure or, you know, regiment to our lives that is beneficial to us, right? And nothing is an extreme. Nothing, everything is in its apportioned amount and time and nothing is in the extreme. Whereas, you know, if we were kind of dictating our own lives, sometimes we can go into extremes by focusing too much time and attention uh, onto one thing and not another. Um, so I just think it's another way, like being able to, to experience nature, even being able to be aware that, yes, the sun is rising right now or the sun is setting right now, and you're not indoors in the house with the windows closed and not really understanding even what time of day it is, that it's now time to rest. I think that's really important. That's so true, and especially we live in that hustle grind lifestyle. <laughs> it's yeah, I tell myself like no matter what, if I'm like too much, it's too much. So I have to like get out, even though I have so much work, because like eventually the body will explode from stress. You know, like you might get angry at someone else, like like the stress will come out of, from you, and it could come out in a negative way. So it's important to release stress in a positive way. And I actually didn't know about nature therapy until I took the class at George Mason. I forgot the name, but it's about health. Uh, stress and coping mechanisms and nature therapy was one of them and i was amazed to learn that it's actually a way to relax and de-stress so yeah so for anyone that lives without too much sun like uk or cold weather such as alaska and what have you what recommendations do you have for the people to incorporate nature therapy in their life well i think part of it is yeah there there are limited there's a limited amount of time that you can actually spend outdoors, even during the daylight hours. Um, a lot of times in the wintertime, you know, we go to work and come back at work in the daylight hours and we never really get to experience any sunlight outside. We're just stuck in our offices, you know, between nine and five. And that's usually when it's daylight in the wintertime. So I think what's important is to really try to make time, even if it's, for example, like while you're at work, instead of Spending, you know, your entire lunch hour, you know, inside, put on your coat, you know, and prepare for it. But, you know, go for a walk, even if it's just a 15 minute walk around the block, that will definitely help. And then also you can learn to experience the outdoors in ways after dark, too. So if there's a, you know, a safe place where you feel comfortable going for a walk at night, you know, all of those things can kind of help because the sun and just getting the sunlight and, you know, your vitamin D, that's important but also just kind of being outside and being exposed to maybe some, you know, fresh air. And again, just observing nature, I think will provide some therapeutic benefit. Um, so I think it's really just a matter of preparing and making the time for it. So again, in the winter time, you know, make sure you have like the right winter weather gear, you know, like warm clothing and a cap and, and gloves and just get out there, even if it's for 15 minutes. The other thing I would say is do it with friends or family. You know, a lot of times the experience in the outdoors or nature, it's not just about you connecting with, you know, these objects in nature or the particular location, but it's really also about that social bonding that can happen between you and other people 
being in that environment and those the particular challenges or characteristics of that environment that make you behave or act a certain way with one another. For example, you know, I find it that when I'm leading a group hike, people that are uncomfortable in this environment, maybe they're there for the first time, you know, people that are more experienced, they might tend to pick up on it and they're start to become really helpful, right? And when somebody's exposing a little bit of their vulnerability and somebody responds to that with kindness and, you know, being helpful, that really creates like a unique bond and it creates a unique dynamic between people that it's hard to achieve, I think, when you're not outside. I like that. Great point. So you mentioned safety first. We always, ha- we always have to promote safety first. Second is the sure. dynamic with being around, you know, a support group, just like when it comes to working out. Sometimes it helps to have a support system. And I also want to mention tips that came on my mind as you were speaking. So I've heard from people that who like me who just need that sunlight and can become a little depressed without sunlight because you know there's a seasonal uh, mood disorders mm-hmm. they get there's like an art- artificial light that's similar to the sun i've never used it but i've been told about it and then also you can decorate the house or your office or your, your surrounding with like a fake tree for example or like for me for example i have my a picture i took from my phone a flower on my desktop on my laptop as a screensaver background so I'm still like surrounded with nature, not per se like outside, but it still keeps my eye around it and seeing it. That's a great point because actually at work, I also <laughs> have my desk covered in photos of that I've taken on my hikes. Um, yes. And definitely, it makes me feel like I've spent a bit of time in the outdoors, just being able to either remember and reflect on those memories and what I was experiencing when I was in that spot definitely helps throughout yeah subhanallah it does like really make wonder like when you put a picture of like a car versus like a tree or like something that's nature it's so different and yeah so as a hike leader then and an expert in this area what recommendations do you have for people that are beginners with hiking and know nothing about it so come hike with outdoor muslim <laughs> i think that's <laughs> yes one of the best ways is to really to join a group hike group hikes are really a great way uh, an organized way to experience the outdoors or you're in an environment that's, you know, relatively safe. It's been planned. Um, somebody has gone through and scouted the hike so they understand what to expect and they can help you understand what to expect. They can, you know, describe that hike for you. A lot of times it's just our apprehension of the unknown of, okay, is this going to be too much for me to handle? You know, is it going to be too steep for me? Is the distance too long for me? So group it, uh, going in and like an organized group hike is really helpful. And that's really one of the things that we're trying to do with outdoor Muslims is create those opportunities where we could really help people understand what to expect and create those opportunities for them to come and explore and try something new if they haven't done it before. The other, I think, you know, advice I would have for somebody who's trying this out new is just, you know, start small. Really, it can just be with just a walk in your neighborhood and, you know, you know, grab a friend, grab a family member and just get out there. And then slowly, Similarly, like you might do in strength training, you know, start to push yourself. Maybe you're pushing yourself in terms of distance. Maybe you're pushing yourself in terms of the terrain that you, you know, you might be walking over. You might start off on a on a paved path or sidewalk and then move to more of a, you know, gravel or or natural surface trail. You might start off more like what's called like the front country where you're kind of like in an open public area park and then slowly get more comfortable with going into slightly more remote areas. And then lastly, there are lots of resources. And even on, on if you go to our Outdoor Muslims website, outdoormuslims.org, we have a, a lot of great information on how to prepare 
for outdoor activities, particularly hikes. So we have a lot of great information on how to like prepare in terms of what to pack, also how to prepare for a hike in terms of just being physically prepared. So stretching, you know, making sure that you've eaten and are hydrated. And then even the little things like, you know, making sure that you've just like have the right, that you're basically that your feet are happy and healthy. So you have the right shoes, the right socks, and the other kind of considerations that you would, you would, ha- you would want to make to make sure that you actually enjoy this experience and want to do it again. So what should we pack? <laughs> That's a great question. So <laughs> basically you want to start with water, which will be the most important thing, I think, in any circumstance. Because water, although in, in our like, daily lives is accessible everywhere, water may not be accessible when you're out exploring nature at least water that's safe to drink without filtering. So being able to have some water, pack water with you, I recommend on most of our groups hike, group hikes that you plan to carry at least two liters of water. And so that's about four of those 16 ounce water bottles. And that will really help people kind of stay hydrated, make sure they're drinking water. Because what happens is when people get outside, they don't want to stop or they don't feel like they want to use the bathroom or whatever reason and they don't drink enough water and then they suffer on the hike so maybe they start to become a little sluggish they have a hard time keeping up but usually it's just because they haven't been drinking enough water so water i would say is the most important thing definitely keep some sort of method of navigation it can be your if you're in the front country like in a public area it can be uh, like a local park it can be your phone but just have an idea of, you know, where you're intending to go and being able to navigate in case you get lost or call for help or if something happens. So, you know, keeping your cell phone on you is really important, you know, charged up cell phone. If you're going in the backcountry, definitely you want to have some clear maps and a compass and then knowing how to use that compass uh, and navigation. And so if you come in our outdoor Muslims, outdoor Muslims hikes, we uh, often cover some basic map and compass skills as well when we go out to the backcountry. So you have an opportunity to learn how to use those navigation tools. And then also making sure you have enough you know, snacks to fuel your hike, make sure you have enough calories on you to complete the activity that you're intending to do. And then also just making sure that you have the right gear for the weather. So I always say always anticipate rain. And they might just be a simple rain jacket or a poncho. If you're doing something more intense, you know, you might need some other equipment or gear like rain pants and a rain cover for your back backpack or something like that. I like this. Water, hydration and food, energy and method of navigation. Because I've actually heard stories of people get really lost on their hikes. And I mean, the extreme hikes, it can be really tricky. So it's definitely important to have the method of navigation with you. And I'm going to add the... Uh, what do I call it? The bug spray for people like me who <laughs> don't like bugs. That's something I think everyone should carry no matter what. And like, obviously the whole, if it's like sunny, like summertime, sunscreen, lotion, all that stuff. So then think about like poison ivy, because that's something I learned from you actually during the hike that we did. So how can we distinguish a poison ivy if we were outside? Uh, so definitely if you come on one of our hikes, we'll point out poison ivy. Um, poison ivy is very interesting. It's, so if you live in the in the kind of the East Coast, Mid-Atlantic, and the South, you'll probably be coming across poison ivy at some point, you know, exploring the outdoors. And so poison ivy really comes in two forms. You can either find it as a vine growing up a tree. And it, as a vine, it has certain characteristics 
And then you can also find it kind of as a low growing uh, plant along the ground, maybe never reaching more than a foot and a foot and a half tall. Um, but typically you might have heard people say leaves of three, let it be, which means that typically poison ivy comes, has leaflets of three leaves and they are sometimes hard to distinguish. But if you look at poison ivy leaves, you'll find that the that the center leaf of the leaflet will have three lobes. So if you imagine if you stack your hands on top of each other and if you imagine if you kind of look down on it, you'll see like your thumbs on either side of your fingers and then your four other fingers creating a lobe at the top. So that's kind of what the poison ivy middle leaf of the leaflet will look like. And that's a good way to distinguish what you're looking at. But then also be careful because you know, a lot of times what can happen is the the vines that grow up a tree, they can kind of stick out. The leaves can kind of, the, the, the poison ivy vine actually branches out and can kind of look very much like just a tree branch sticking out, but it's actually poison ivy. But a good way to also tell about poison ivy as a vine is that there will be, the vine itself will be really hairy. So there's another saying, if it's hairy, it's scary. So if you see a hairy vine on a tree, let it leave it alone. Don't don't touch it. So you guys, leaves of three, let it be. And if it's hairy, it is scary. I like that. I'm gonna like keep that in my mind because I still don't understand the leaves of three. Like you showed it to us, but I'm like, I don't get it. So I have to keep keep working on it and distinguishing because I because it's it's easy to mix them up and because yeah. you know how there are other leaves that look that looks like like that looks like it, but it's actually not poison ivy. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. so if you see a, a plant that has a group groups of leaves, and those groups are three leaves, then probably just leave it alone. Okay, <laughs> to be on the safe side. So then, how should someone prepare for camping, and what should we know about it in advance? And I actually want to learn this for myself, because I've never had uh, camp done camping before. So what do you recommend? How should we go about it? Yeah, absolutely. So what we do actually, um, just another plug for Outdoor Muslims is we're going to have a backpacking workshop, which is really just an opportunity to learn how to plan going on a backpacking or camping trip. And so there's just a basic, a couple of key principles. One thing is to plan and prepare for this trip, right? Don't just kind of wing it and like on a whim, just think that you're going to be able to like, oh, like I want to go camping this weekend and just kind of grab stuff from your house and, and go camping. What happens is what we want to do is make sure, A, that we're able to enjoy this experience safely and actually enjoy it. So we're not going to put ourselves in a situation where, you know, we're going somewhere where it may not be the best time of year to go. For example, you know, you don't want to go to like a really swampy area in the middle of the summertime, you know, just because it's a park um, and just because you saw some like great pictures online. It's actually probably going to be a really terrible experience going there. (laughs) Um, and then also, uh, you know, you want to be able to minimize your impact on these natural areas. So we very much try to follow the leave no trace principles, which is basically a, a, a set of seven principles, which provides some guidance to minimize our impact on nature um, as we go out and explore nature. So the key, the first principle is really just to plan and prepare, you know, know what you need to take out there. So you have the right equipment. What we don't want is to go out there and then, you know, not realize we don't have something and then try to compensate for it by, 
you know, disturbing the environment in a way that negatively impacts it. For example, a lot of times people go out into on a camping trip and then they start to cut down trees and things like that because they didn't have enough firewood or they didn't have a shelter or things like that. And those are the types of things that we want to minimize. So then how can we pack stuff that will make fire again? I'm like, I know nothing about camping. (laughs) Yeah, no. So, so, um, I'll just put another plug out there, but on our website, we do have a great guide for how to prepare for a, a camping trip and kind of all the things that you need to think about. But there are there are something called 10 essentials, which really are covered in our guide. But part of that would be, you know, making sure you like, kind of like our day hike, we have their adequate food, water, uh, a method to filter water, or purify the water. You know, we have the right equipment that we need to have a shelter. So, you know, it might be a tent, it might be a hammock, it could be a tarp, but at least we have a method to create a shelter if we needed it. And then also one of those would be going back to our navigation. So, you know, if you're, again, if you're in the back country, you don't want to rely on an electronic device, whether it's a phone or a GPS, you want to still be able to have the skills to read a map and, and read a compass and kind of just orient yourself as to where you are. And then also, you know, a first aid kit or the supplies that you would need for the types of activities that you're doing. For example, if you are in a more remote area, you're probably going to want to have a more robust first aid kit that might be able to treat just injuries beyond like minor scrapes or bug bites or blisters, which are your most common injuries that you experience in the outdoors, but maybe also something to treat like a broken arm or broken leg or something like that as well. And then lastly is, you know, being able to also create a fire safely and really there's a couple of things that you want to think about but carrying two two sources of fire is always recommended so if you want to think about carrying like a lighter and matches just in case one fails so maybe you know your matches got soggy because it rained and you can't light them at least you still have your lighter or if your lighter breaks or runs out of fuel you still have your matches as a backup so yes you guys on outdoormuslims.org i did read about the blog and i was like freaking out when i read the uh, limited access to some stuff that i'm so used to at home that's definitely an adventure but it's different stuff to consider so then how do you protect yourself from tech and all that nature fun stuff yeah so so there's a lot of things that you can do to mitigate ticks and just some background on ticks if you live on the east coast or the Mid-Atlantic, you might know about the prevalence of Lyme disease. And it's the black-legged ticks, or otherwise known as the deer ticks, that really carry this disease. And it can be very detrimental, I'll say, if you do end up contracting Lyme disease. So they, the ticks that are typically vectors for, the, for this disease, they're manageable depending on the, how you prepare for your outdoor activity. I would say that based on kind of the trends that we're seeing in global warming, ticks are prevalent all year round. And it's not that we can count on like the winter months being tick free or anything like that anymore. So now you can can expect ticks all year round. So prepare in all year round in the activities that you do for ticks. There are certain things that you can do in terms of your clothing. You know, if you wear long sleeve clothing and also, you know, long pants, and then you can tuck your pants into your socks. And what that does is it creates a seal almost so that any tick that you might pick up as you're hiking through tall grass or next to plants or things like that, that might find its way on your shoes or on the lower extremities of your body, it can't get onto your skin. It's kind of still stuck on the surface of your clothes. 
So that prevents ticks from actually getting onto your skin and being able to actually bite you. The other way is there are some products that you can use. Everybody might be familiar with DEET, which is a product that's been around for a long time. DEET has some drawbacks, but it is effective. DEET can ruin some of your outdoor gear if you have gear that's made out of polyethylene or like like that's more like a plastic or rubber. DEET can destroy that. It can deteriorate those that equipment. So say if it got on a rain jacket or something like that, it could it could mess it up. The best one that's out there now that you can use is something called permethrin. And you can find that online. And basically what you can do is pre-treat your clothes so, or your shoes or any other gear. And you just kind of spray it on your clothes and it provides a really good prevent tick prevention, like has good tick prevention characteristics that it applies to your clothes. And it, it lasts for about five to six washes or, or a couple of months on your clothes. So it's something that's really easy to do, relatively inexpensive, that will save you a lot of headache from actually getting bitten by a tick. Now, if you get bit by a tick, there is a certain technique that you'll wanna look up and kind of practice on how to remove a tick. Basically what you wanna do is try to remove a tick from your skin entirely, including its head, which is where it bites you. And so there's a certain technique to do that that you'll need a pair of tweezers for. And then save the tick if you get bit by the tick because what you can do is you can have that, take that tick to your doctor and they can analyze it to better understand what diseases or illnesses that tick might have been carrying. And in case you need treatment for anything, it'll be a better way to determine what type of treatment you need. That's a really great point, points because I remember like when I was really young at a park, there was a tick, I'm pretty sure it was a tick on my ear and mm -hmm. I freaked out because it wouldn't come out and my mom had to use um, like a bobby pen. And then I think she can like heat it up and then like she put the bobby pen on it and, like it kind of came off but i think we just threw it away or something but that was so many years ago and i'm still fine so pretty yeah, sure nothing good. happened to me it's still, but, a, it's still a very small percentage of the black legged ticks or the deer ticks that carry lyme disease it's just we're starting to see it ticks become way more prevalent than they used to be based on you know the climate change and also the fact that people are way more aware of tick-borne illnesses now than they used to be yeah so then what was the product you mentioned besides DEET that we should spray our clothes with? It's called permethrin. And if you uh, kind of search for it online, you'll find it. It's made by a company called Sawyer. And Sawyer makes a lot of great outdoor products. And not a not that I'm you know sponsored by them or anything like that. But they also have a great, a great spray that you can find. And then there's another general in, like bug spray that you can use that will help for ticks and mosquitoes and that's called picaridin and it's spelled p-i-c-a-r-i-d-i-n and if you google that you'll find picaridin products which are also a re relatively safer alternative to DEET and it'll also help you prevent against ticks and mosquitoes and other flying insects inshallah and everyone you can find in the show notes i'll have it all so don't worry about it if you didn't catch it right now so the next question is what happens if we see a bear and well actually before we see the bear let's talk about ticks are the ticks can they be found at a regular park it doesn't have to be hike is that correct correct so i was bitten by a tick i'll tell you just by doing some yard work in my backyard and where when i least expected it right so i had become i had become habituated to after i go on a hike i come back and i do a thorough tick check of my body typically ticks like to end up in places like your underarms 
or along your waist, places where they can kind of hide and it's generally warmer on your body. Because where it's warmer, that means they can probably get into, like, basically bite into a blood vessel easier than other parts of your body. So that's where they typically end up. They can also end up in your hair, on the back of your neck. Usually it's the hard to reach places where they end up. And it's also important to understand that ticks are very, very small. Often when we see pictures of ticks, it's because it's been magnified. And, you know, when ticks are in their nymph stage is when they can still bite you and infect you with Lyme disease. They are no larger than like a, a dot that you would make with a pencil or a pen. And it's very sometimes hard to spot them until they've actually engorged on some blood and they've increased their size. So it's important. We'll also post some resources on how to do a proper tick check. But it's important to when you when you come back from a hike or even just being in the outdoors, you know, if you were gardening or something like that, come back and, and do a thorough tick check. That's a great point and something I should practice more now. So then when you do see a bear, I want to because on your website, you mentioned like not to run or something like that. So I want to see what should we do? Because <laughs> sure. I know you, I told you so you guys, I actually my friend, I we went to Shenandoah and we did see a bear like cross from one end to the other and. We just had to like not freak out, walk really fast and talk as loud as we can. But what should we do next time that we see a bear? So if you see a bear, <laughs> uh, the most important thing is don't panic. Bears, if you're on the East Coast, especially in the D.C. area, you can experience bears even in our suburbs. So if you're in like Western Fairfax County, Loudoun County, uh, maybe Western Montgomery County in Maryland, there are bears. And and in a lot of these parks, especially like Shenandoah, I mean, you'll definitely come across bears. And what we have here are black bears. Black bears are typically smaller in size compared to grizzly bears. And at least the bears here historically have not been very aggressive to human. Now, it's important to understand kind of bear behavior and bear activity. Bears are always kind of in search for food. And as we encroach on their habitat, they are increasingly looking for food in places where they might not typically find it due to kind of just having their, just because their habitat is, has become smaller and smaller. So typically when you, see, you, when you encounter a bear, let's say in Shenandoah, it is because, you know, a bear might be foraging somewhere in the forest and you just are walking down the trail and, you know, he might be nearby and you kind of startle him. And so that's what we want to avoid doing is startling a bear because then they may react in a way where they become aggressive. Typically, when bears become aggressive, what they do is something called a bluff charge. And that is just an intimidation tactic. They don't have any intention of actually physically, you know, touching you or harming you in any way. It's just to kind of, let, hey, let you know, hey, like, keep your space for me. So a way to prevent that is really just to make some noise while you're hiking or walking along a, a remote trail. Something just as simple as maybe, you know, as you're as you're turning a corner on a trail and you can't see ahead of you, just kind of like, you know, clicking your hiking poles together to make some sort of sound, you know, to let the bear know that you know, you're coming. If you're hiking in a group, typically, you know, there's enough conversation going on in the group where a bear has heard you long before you knew there was a bear in the area and has gone. And then just, you know, if you do see the bear, just talking to the bear in a loud voice, letting the bear know that you're there and then not approaching it directly. And the bear does turn to you or becomes aggressive. What you want to do is don't run and don't 
feed it anything, right? So don't, if like, if you have something in your pack, like an apple or something like that, don't give it to the bear, right? Because what that does is it conditions them to think that you are going to become a source of food and they can continue to be aggressive and you'll give them food. So you don't want to do that. What you want to do is, you know, stand your ground firmly and make yourself appear bigger. What you can do is, you know, spread your arms out, make sure you're standing on your tippy toes. If you have other friends with you, kind of stand in a group together, make yourselves appear bigger and make a lot of noise. You can, you know, shout at the bear. Can If you have like, if there's, you know, rocks or sticks or something like that, you can throw it at the bear. But typically that's enough to keep the bear away from you and the bear will eventually go, will eventually move on. I mean, they they don't see you as a source of food or anything like that. So they're not typically going to become aggressive. In areas where if you're backpacking, you're camping in areas where hikers or backpackers tend to leave a lot of food or a lot of trash, you know, they might be conditioned to come there and, and expect food to be there. So just be very careful to make sure that you're cleaning up your trash. You're not throwing banana peels or orange peels or something like that on the trail. You're packing those out with you, which is very important and not leaving any trash behind. Carry some pepper with you. So if you come across a bear, you can open up the pepper and sprinkle it all, o- sprinkle it all over yourself. And make yourself tasty because you're going to be dinner anyways. Wait, are you, wait, this is being real? That's, <laughs> a, that's a joke. <laughs> I was like, wait, oh my goodness. But there, is so- some, there are products out there like bear spray, which is essentially pepper spray, which you can use. I don't really see it as necessary in terms of where we live on the East Coast. But if you're in grizzly bear territory, that's an entirely different animal and different behavior. So with grizzly bears, if you're in grizzly country, I would recommend carrying bear spray. And then if you come across a grizzly bear, what you want to do is not be a toward the bear, but it's actually recommend it to play dead and then make sure you make yourself immediately immediately not be a threat to the bear and is that found in the west coast more because i was going to ask you about the west coast and maybe like other listeners who might be out different country like in europe or in asia are they like all the same different no the typically bear behavior is different depending on where you are regionally i'll say on the east coast where we have primarily black bears you're going to be you're going to find them to be less aggressive there are certain areas like in the in the Smokies in Tennessee, North Carolina, where bears have gotten a little bit smarter and a little bit more aggressive. So refer to your local ranger or the park, the park like visitor center or information center that they'll have a lot of good information on how to deal with the particular bears that are there. So, for example, if you're backpacking in the Smokies, you have to have a specific type of bear canister, which is where you'll store your food and things like that, because the bears have gotten smart and how to get food out of packs and things like that. Yeah. So make sure you guys do your research before you go. And not every country plays it the same. So this is funny because yesterday I ran into a geese. Well, when I asked, I asked you and Sivam um, for help on what to do, because I just stared right at the face of the geese, <laughs> mommy or daddy, whoever it was. And they just like opened their peak, like about to come bite me. And I was like, I'm not going to take your children away. So what should we not do when we see? And this was just like a local, you know, at a deck with water pond, not even like a hike or anything. So, yeah, generally in in the spring and early summer, you'll find that a lot of animals have their young with them. So whether it be a bear with cubs or geese with their fledglings, you want to make sure that you are keeping your distance from them because they will become aggressive if they have young with them, especially for bears and geese. And so what you want to do is typically if you make eye contact with the animal or you're facing directly toward them, that's more of an aggressive stance. And so they might respond aggressively. So what you can do is turn away from them, 
you know, if you come across a, like a goose, for example, that's become aggressive, aggressive to, toward you, just look away, turn your body away from them and start to move in the direction you need to. Sometimes you might have to walk backwards or sideways. And typically when you're not facing them, they see you as less of a threat. So that might be one tactic. You know, again, if you come across a, a bear, like a mother with her cubs, you definitely want to make sure you're keeping your distance, move away slowly and make yourself and, and make yourself seem as less threatening as possible in that situation. That's all. Yes, that's exactly what I had to do, like go back to the workout. So when is the best time to do camping or be outside? So obviously summer is really hot time, but what do you recommend to either try a hike or be more with the nature? Yeah, absolutely. Timing is really important in how much you're going to actually enjoy your outdoor uh, you know, adventure. And that's why I'll say typically like the spring and fall months are really great because the temperature is typically milder. You can experience more fluctuations in temperature, so you have to kind of prepare for that. It can get really warm in the in the daytime and then really cold in the in the evening. But typically that's when there are less bugs out, the temperature is milder. And usually there's just a lot going on in nature during those times that you can really enjoy. Also, the time of day is important. You know, a lot of times you can still enjoy being in the outdoors in the in the middle of summer here, even though it does get pretty hot and swampy is, you know, go early in the morning after Fudger, you know, start your outdoor activity. Usually the mornings are the best time to really observe nature. It's cooler and it's there's a, there's a lot to experience during that time. What you don't want to do is, you know, not plan and hit the trail at like 11 o'clock in the morning or noon when it's like getting really hot and you're just not going to have a good time. And then also think about the location of where you're going and, and what time of year is best for that. Sometimes you may come across an, a situation where, you know, there's a body of water like a river. That's a pretty significant feature of where you're going. Well, in the springtime, it may not be the safest time just because of the rains and how high the water might get. So you might want to think about that as well. A great point. So is there anything else that you, I should have asked you, but I didn't? Is there anything else that you should have asked me that I didn't? Let's <laughs> see. I'll say the most important thing really just to start small steps out into nature, right? It's really not about, there's really no right or wrong way to experience nature in the sense that, you know, it has to be like how you're seeing people on like in movies or on social media experiencing like you know you know like rock climbing up the face of a cliff 2000 foot cliff without any like harnesses or anything like that. that's not how you have to experience the outdoors it doesn't have to be you know a 12 mile hike it doesn't have to be a backpacking trip you know it can be as simple as it, just a, a walk in your neighborhood and then also when we're thinking about nature as as therapy Sometimes when we're on and doing activity like a bike or a hike ride, we're always moving, right? We want to keep moving, but plan to just take some time to slow down and stop. Maybe whether it's, you know, under a tree or next to a stream or something like that, and just take some time to just stop and slow down and observe. And you'll start to be amazed at what you start seeing and, you know, what you start to understand just by being out there. The most significant thing about nature to me is not the individual tree or the individual plant or that individual like body of water. It's how all of these things are interacting with each other. And that's really, I feel like, the essence of what 
when Allah asks us to reflect in the Quran on these aspects of nature that he mentions, it's really understanding the what we call like ecology, right? Where you have plants and animals and your you know geographic features interacting with each other and what that means. Um, and to me, those types of observations and realizations that you can make in nature are the most significant. That's so true. And like, you know, subhanAllah, yesterday when I was out, um, I, I like to take time to like to stretch or whatever, um, to reflect and all that. And then I saw like the family of the with their little children and i reflect like how they're kind of like arguing like the i'm pretty sure it's the mom and dad or whatever <laughs> but i'm like subhanallah like how it's all connected to our life as humans but i cannot say that enough it's so true you guys like get out there go for a walk safety comes first as always and if it's just looking at the sky anything but internalize it because it will affect and impact your mind there is like a psychology to this so Get out there. So where can someone stay in contact with you and outdoor Muslims? Yeah, absolutely. So I do have an Instagram account, The Hikers Journal. And then also you can find us on OutdoorMuslims.org. And you'll find that we're also on Meetup at Meetup.com slash Outdoor Muslims. And that's where we post all of our outings and our events throughout the year. And you guys, when you listen to this, make sure when you go outside, take a picture and use the hashtag Outdoor Muslims and hashtag be fit for Akhira and let us know how you feel and your experience being outside. Thank you so much, Faizan, for being with us today. Yeah, thank you, Ola, for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe today and leave a five-star review. You can also screenshot and share this episode with a family or a friend. Be strong, be fit, be fit for Akhira. Oh, 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 oh,